Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast about children's development from the Center for Inclusive Childcare. Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast from the Center for Inclusive Childcare. I'm Priscilla Weigel, the Executive Director, and I'm here today with our guest, Dr. Jennifer Hall Landy from the University of Minnesota Institute on Community Integration. She's a researcher there and also with the Masonic Institute on the Developing, Developing Brain. Dr. Hall Landy leads research in early identification and prevalence of autism and other developmental disabilities. She's also a clinical psychologist specializing in early identification of developmental delays in young children, and she serves as the CDC's Act Early Ambassador to Minnesota and is a lead researcher on the CDC's Autism and Developmental Disabilities Monitoring Network. And she's also a faculty on the Minnesota LEND Fellowship Program, which is Leadership Education in Neurodevelopmental Disabilities, and that's at the University of Minnesota. So my first question is, how do you have time to do anything else? But we're so glad you're here and that you took time to talk with us. It really is a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm glad you could join us today. We're looking forward to hearing your um, information that you have. And as I read your bio and all of your background, you have um, a lot you're touching a lot of areas in with a common theme, autism, and supporting children and families with autism. And that's, I have the pleasure of working with you on the Learn the Signs Act Early group that is really a, a monthly meeting that is pulling all of us together in Minnesota who touch children and families in different ways and care for them. And um, so I'm excited for you to be here today to just Talk to us about your role in supporting families that are navigating this road of autism. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for having me here today. And you're exactly right. A, a common theme that runs through all of my different work is autism and more broadly developmental disabilities. And you invited me here today to talk about a lot of things and a lot of our connections, but one of which was um, you asked me to talk about one of our projects where we're really looking more closely. It's our ADAM project, which I, I won't speak in acronyms. It stands for <laughs> Autism Developmental Disabilities Monitoring Network. And um, that is a project that really simply stated we, we count, we, we track the number of children with autism. Uh, you know, it's, it's a longstanding project. Nationally, it's been around since 2000, and it's one of the largest and longstanding projects that we have that has tracked the number of children with autism, but it also tells us some other important things, uh, such as characteristics, and um, something that's near and dear to my heart, uh, which is early identification. And I'm here today. I think what you want to hear is you want to hear me talk a little bit about what those numbers look like, both in the national numbers, as well as in within our state of Minnesota. If, if I'm correct about that, I will, I will definitely. keep going. <laughs> yes, I, definitely. That's exactly why I, I think, I think it'd be really interesting to, for our listeners to understand that process um, because so often in the news you hear, oh, the CDC's out with new numbers. And as you know, childcare professionals, they're hearing about that and maybe not understanding all that goes into 
that process. Yes. And, you know, just to back us up a little, and I know you have a very informed audience, but I always like to start. Sometimes I get the question, what is autism? We're we're hearing so much about it. You know, what is it? And really, autism is a developmental disability. It really, you know, children with autism, they may communicate differently, interact differently, behave differently. They may learn in different ways. We all know they are very capable of learning. They bring many gifts, but they also may bring challenges challenges in social communication, um, social interaction. Maybe some of the behaviors are different or more rigid or repetitive. And so that is really the group we're looking at. I also look at more broadly developmental delays, but today we are going to talk a lot about autism. So to sort of bring us back to our counting, our what we look at, we say prevalence, prevalence of autism. That's a public health mm-hmm. term. Um, basically, if, if I were here doing a visual presentation, I would say, you know, we really look at the number of children with autism in our communities. In this case, we're looking closely at eight-year-olds and four-year-olds, but I'm going to use eight-year-olds as our example today. So that's our numerator, number of children with autism, and our denominator is number of just total children with eight-year-olds in the area we're looking at. And why that's important is I talk a lot about prevalence. So Mm -hmm. your question is, um, what do those numbers look like? And today I'm going to flip a little bit back and forth between we have CDC's numbers, the CDC Atom Network. We kind of use some shorthand and say national, but it's actually 11 sites, 11 communities within the United States. People often think it's in every state and in every community, but really we're collecting data um, across a select group of communities and we report those numbers. So even I may slip and say national, but just remember um, it's a small group of communities, but the data is really helpful. And what we're seeing within the broader Adam network, um, CDC's network, is a number of one in 44. So if we're looking at eight-year-old children, we're saying one out of 44 eight-year-old children are identified with autism. That comes out to uh, a percentage of about 2.3%. Now, mm-hmm. if we look a little more specifically at Minnesota, the numbers are one in 36. So even a little bit higher, around 2.8%, almost 3%. And what I like to tell people when I present on this data, and we're we're talking a lot about eight-year-olds because that's the group we're looking at, if you think of a typical third grade class where eight-year-olds would be, it almost every class would have a child with autism. So it's no longer considered a low-incidence disability. Priscilla, I don't know about you, but when, when I was growing up, Autism was a relatively low incidence disability. Yes. I might think yes. of it as a, you know, maybe, maybe I knew one child, two. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you know, it, it's pretty common. Most of us have a friend, a family member, a classmate, a coworker um, mm-hmm. who has autism. Uh, you know, yeah. and we're seeing it much more than we used to. It's much more a part of our everyday dialogue, right? I mean, that right. it used to be. Yeah. And, and so people often ask why, you know, you know, why, why is that? And, and I, I say, you know, a couple reasons. One, what we do, we're more aware. We're certainly yes. more aware. Parents are more aware. Childcare providers are more aware. You know, researchers are more aware. Everyone, it, it's more a part of our regular discussion. So public awareness is definitely a piece of it. Number yes. two, the diagnostic criteria has changed. We now yeah. view autism as a spectrum. Um, we mm-hmm. see it as co-occurring with intellectual disability. Now we know that a child can have a high IQ and have autism. They can have significant communication needs at an IQ below 70 or have an intellectual disability and have autism. It's a spectrum. So we're identifying more kids. 
And we're also getting better at identifying yeah. kids. You know, yeah. we, we know that we've improved screening. And then when I think of early childhood providers, they're better at developmental monitoring. We have yes. better screening tools and we have better assessment processes. So I think it's, we can't attribute it to one factor, but one thing we think is a significant contributor is we are just getting better at identifying kids. Yeah. One thing when you're talking about early childhood professionals and in the childcare setting, when you think of there are more children in community care too, as well. Yes. And so yes. those professionals who are getting better at those developmental markers, they're seeing kids younger and younger yes. in yes. a community setting. Whereas when I was growing up and maybe when you were growing up too, yes. you know, you, you started school when you were five, you went to yes. kindergarten yes. and that's when you notice that there may be some learning challenges or there may be some unique needs. But now we're seeing kids, you know, infancy and and beyond and getting that opportunity for that early intervention and that that ability to say, this could be it. Let's look at it in a deeper way, try to get some more answers and then get this child some some supports so that they can be successful. Absolutely. And when I put, you know, I, 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 I lead the Autism Developmental Displays Monitoring Network, but I also do a lot of work with Learn the Signs Act Early, which is another public yep. health program where we really work to identify kids earlier. And you're exactly right, Priscilla. We go to all those places that children birth to five are, childcare. Yes. You know, they see their pediatricians and healthcare providers parents. Some are in the home, but a lot are in settings where we see yeah. kids and, and we're able to monitor their development. It's interesting you brought that up because I think an important part of the discussion that we talked a lot, talk a lot about and act early, you know, developmental delays and disabilities are remarkably common. I'm going to step a little bit out yes. to autism and step yeah. more into developmental delays. CDC numbers tell us that about one in four kids birth through five, birth through seven, you know, if we look at that early childhood year, one in four are at risk for a developmental delay. Now we mm -hmm. think, wow, well, but we think a developmental delay could be a communication delay, a speech yeah. delay, a motor delay. So if we think in one in four kids are at risk that we're seeing, and for example, in childcare settings, we also know from CDC data, if we look at kids, you know, the, the broad spectrum about one in six will wind up with some type of a developmental disability. So you know, it's not as rare as we thought, and, and it's part of the whole continuum of, of the children we see and the students we serve. And so I really do think of early care providers as really being on the front lines and helping us understand in terms of development, what is typical and, and how do we get to kids early? You know, the research yeah. is really sound. The earlier we get to kids, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, Priscilla. I, <laughs> I know you know this. I know your listeners. But the earlier we get to kids, the better their life outcomes. In the case of autism, yes. I'm going to put my psychologist and my clinical hat on. Um, with specialized training, we know we can identify kids between 18 months and 24 months. And I'm wow. going to talk, or, or maybe I can talk about it right now. You know, we're, we're getting to kids too late. Um, yeah. We're getting to kids. When we look at the Adam data nationally, we're seeing that we're getting to kids with an autism clinical diagnosis around four years, two months. So, so even that is delayed. Do you think Minnesota is higher or lower? Do you think kids are older or younger? Well, you, <laughs> you I'm going to, I'm, I would hope that it would be younger, but unfortunately what we're seeing with Minnesota data, 
we're getting to kids with the clinical diagnosis in Minnesota around five years, three months. Hmm. And while, while we've made improvements and we've done a lot of work in that area, we also know you know, we know intervention at any age is a gift. If a child is identified at five, if they're identified at seven, we get them in for services and supports. But we know there's something really powerful about those birth through five years. We think of the advances we see in language and communication and social development. And if we can get in early and support a child, their life outcome is significantly better. And research also tells us that often for the family, it can yes. be better for them. They get the supports that they need. Um, they get a community. It can be hard to get an early diagnosis for many families, but there's also a percentage of families that it also can be supportive. It can be liberating. Right. They, they have yes. a name to it and, and they start to understand a path forward. And I think we need, I know all of us, I've been there as a psychologist in early intervention. Sometimes it's hard. It's hard to talk about delays, to talk about diagnoses, but we also know that there is a wealth of research literature that tells us the earlier, the better, both for the child and for the family. Yes. And oftentimes, I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, the families have a feeling that there's something and they just are often wanting someone to say, let's go find the answer to that feeling that's in your gut that yes. says something's just not going along the way it's supposed to, or I just need to understand why this behavior keeps happening. And, and so that early intervention piece, that, that diagnosis can really be the, the recipe for this is what your child needs. And we're going to learn as the, as your child grows, of course, it's not like just one size fits all, as you right. very clearly said, it's a spectrum, but it gives those answers in that pathway forward that can feel like a relief in so many situations. Absolutely. And, you know, when, when people look at the research data, you know, in autism, not necessarily mine, but, but I've looked at, you know, I'm in the body of research every day. And, you know, what, what we see is, yes, you're right. Often parents, we, we see a variety of things, but often parents know, you know, something is not right here. Mm -hmm. You know, and often what one thing we've tried to shift the dialogue, shift the narrative with Act Early and our Adam work is that, you know, we often hear parents say, I, I said to my healthcare provider, I said to my, mm -hmm. often it's a healthcare provider. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I, I have some concerns and, and we hear, I think we can say it together. Well, let's wait and see, you know, let's wait yes. and see, fill yes. in the blank. He's a boy. Let's wait yes. and see. The child is learning multiple languages. Let's wait and see. Let's not label too early. And we're slowly shifting that narrative. Um, and maybe yes. in some in some places, um, and I could, uh, we don't have tons of time, but but there's, you know, within the Adam Network, there was a state, California, that had the, the youngest age of identification and they had prevalence rates around one in 26. And they're doing wow. a lot with their healthcare providers in terms of education. Yeah. Let's not wait and see. Let's yeah. screen. Let's track development. Let's get in early for services and supports. And that right. really, we know the earlier we get kids in, again, the, the I, you know, we'll say it together. I, I just yes. keep saying it. Yes. I know you know it. But how mm -hmm. can we all work together? And again, childcare providers, often they know too. We talk about parents. I mean, they yes. they have their own you know norm reference group. They have a class of three-year-olds, class of four-year-olds. Right. know what a two-year-old should be doing, what an infant should be yep. doing in terms of developmental milestones, and how can they be partners with parents 
you know, I'm, I, I do a lot of work again in the learn the signs act early. And I do encourage anyone listening to Google that, take a look. There's a yeah. wealth of free resources there that you yes. can look at as a childcare provider around how do you start that discussion? There's videos because it can be a hard discussion with a parent around developmental delays. Yes. You know, how do you incorporate developmental monitoring into your regular conferences if you're doing conferences mm-hmm. with families? And then how do you navigate that conversation about acting early and getting kids in for more screening or assessment? There are a lot of wonderful free tools um, if yeah. you look on the Learn the Science Act Early website. I'm so glad you brought that up. And also for our listeners too, you know, our coaching is available. Our coaches are well-versed in having those conversations with families. And, and we often will um, help uh, early childhood educator frame it in a way that I need more information to be able to do my job and care for your child. And so let's just go in for screening and rule things out and determine what does your child need to really have a successful day? How can we set up our environment so that we're meeting their needs in the most positive way forward? And it takes the the stress off, I think, you know, leaving it on the parents to go find the answers or the provider to find the answers. We're all going to work together in partnership to, to get to where we have the information that's necessary to help this child be successful. Absolutely. You're, you're all a team working in concert together to provide yes. the best education for the child individualized to their needs. And yes. this can yes. be a path forward in doing that. And Definitely. the coaches do amazing work with that as well. Definitely. So Jen, can you touch a little bit about, you know, boys and girls and autism diagnoses? I think that that's something that's interesting to people and sometimes people want to know more about that. It's a common question we get. And I'm going to, again, you know, go back to the research because I am a researcher, but what we see both nationally and, and it's, a, it's, it's a pretty robust statistic that we see a ratio of about four boys to every one girl. Um, we see that within the broader autism literature. We see it in the ADAM data, the, the national data, and we also see a very similar stat when we look at our Minnesota data. I have a paper sitting right next to me that I need to read. I've already read the abstract. It's looking <laughs> at global prevalence. They also wow. came up with a four to one stat. Huh. So it's a very robust statistic. And so then mm-hmm. people have questions when they hear that. So, so what I do yeah. is count within our project. We count. We are just telling you what we see in communities. We do get questions. Are we under identifying girls? And I say, that is a great question. It is not a question Adam Data can answer because we're just sort of looking at what's there. But there are Mm -hmm. researchers out there taking a look. What does the presentation look like in girls? And here are some of the things that we hear. A subtler presentation, girls are often identified later. Um, You know, they may have a different trajectory. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of different things that they're taking a look at. Are we biased as clinicians? We need to take a look. Are we likely mm. to identify a girl with, with something else of not, not look at it as autism? So I think there's more questions than answers, but definitely we're looking into it. We aren't just saying, wow, it's four to one, you know, <laughs> end, end of the story, book close. Right. We're not saying no. that at all, but I no. would say we need to take a closer look 
Um, mm-hmm. you know, are we seeing that statistic and why is it so consistent across different studies of autism? I think right. a lot of the early intervention providers, I guess I'm wondering, you know, I, I can't see you, you know, this will be played later, but I'm wondering if that's consistent with what you see as well. Um, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, teachers out in special education classrooms, are we seeing significantly more boys than girls? If I put my clinical hat on, I was certainly seeing that a lot more in practice. But again, there are many questions around that in terms of how can we do better at identifying girls and how can we um, identify them earlier? Sure. That's so interesting, isn't it? And, you know, as you said, researchers are digging deeper all the time to help us understand what's what needs to be done to support children and their optimal learning and i think as we kind of look at as we look at wrapping up this wonderful conversation and jen i'd love to have you back another time to talk more about you know, other research that you're doing or just any topic that you'd love to talk about because Absolutely. i love to talk with you you're such a great guest but what can we do as early childhood educators across minnesota and the nation we have listeners all over the united states who pick up this podcast, what can we do to be more helpful to families in this search for those answers? Great question. Great question. Well, I'm going to distill that down into three points, like any good researcher would do. (laughs) Okay. And I will keep it brief. But here are the three things that I take from our ADAM research, our Autism Developmental Displaced Monitoring Network, as well as the actorly work I do. One, A key takeaway is we are identifying more children in our communities than we used to. Autism, Mm -hmm. as I said before, is a relatively common disability. And so we should be watching for the signs of it early and know how to support and navigate those conversations with families, you know, healthcare providers, you know, parents, child, I know many of you are child care providers, that that, that you know, it, it, it's going to come up. It, it just really is. When we look at numbers like that, we know that it is a part of every child care provider's, every early interventionist experience. Yes. We also need to know we are identifying autism too late. And we all work together to identify earlier. So we need to be aware of the early signs. And I'd be happy to come back and and talk about that. The early signs of delays, the early signs of autism, and also how do we get families in for support, um, additional screening, additional testing? um, How do we support those systems? And number three, with the numbers we're seeing in Minnesota, when we're looking at one in 36, we need our systems and support structures to respond to that. So mm-hmm. we need to build capacity, capacity like yeah. what your coaches do, capacity within child care centers, within early intervention settings, um, within schools. I mean, we are looking at shortages in yes. every area of autism. You know, we're here to talk about early intervention, but we spend most of our life in adulthood and we're looking at a yeah. services system that really needs to build capacity to support the kids that we know are moving through it. Yeah. Oh, well, those are great three points to be keeping in the front of our minds as professionals out there caring for children and supporting their families day to day. Thank you, Jen Hall-Landy, for being with us today. This was so packed with information, and I look forward to having you back again as a guest on another topic. And 
For those of you listening, you can also look at uh, go to our website, inclusivechildcare.org. We have a lot of resources on aut- autism, some other podcasts, and also go to Learn the Science Act early. As Jen noted, there's a lot of wonderful resources there as well. And we just encourage all of you to who are out there listening to take this opportunity to just, you know, really be looking for where you can help a family when it comes to navigating some concerns about developmental disabilities and any concerns or lags and delays. So thank you, Jen. Look forward to talking to you sometime very soon. Yes. Thank you, Priscilla. And thank you for the Center for Inclusive Child Care. Um, it's been a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit us at inclusivechildcare.org.